0: Welcome, everyone. I'm Lauren Hawkins. Thanks for tuning in with us to Spirituality Adventures. We are so glad you're here, and we're very excited about the content we get to share with you through our blogs and podcasts. Spirituality Adventures is made possible by your support. One way you can support us is by liking, following, subscribing, or sharing any of these podcasts or blogs that you like. Another way you can support us is by going to our website, www.spiritualityadventures.com. There, you can click the support tab, and you can sign up for a monthly subscription or a one-time gift. We appreciate all your support. Now, here's Fred.
1: Today, I am blessed, and we are blessed, to have Harmony Eccles join us. And um, Harmony is somebody that I met, I can't even remember when, uh, back maybe 20 years ago or something. Yeah. Would it be that long ago?
0: Probably around 2006, okay. 2007 F- maybe. 15 years ago. Yeah.
1: And, uh, and so, um, and I, I've always loved her and her husband, Jeremy's. Jeremy, just their approach to life. And, and they both seem to me to be very creative spirits. And, and I'm doing this topic right now, starting this out on creativity and spirituality. So... Harmony came out with a series of paintings uh, called Lament and put it into a book as well. And so I got, a, I saw a copy of that on her Instagram and I thought, oh man, I'd love to interview her on this because her pieces just really spoke to me. But before we get into her, her work on Lament, I wanted, to give, I wanted her to give just a little bit of background of uh, her and uh, Jeremy and kind of what's uh, bring us, give us the five minute version of you know, where you're <laughs> okay. from and kind of your journey and where you're at right now. It's an interesting right. journey that you've been on.
0: It is. Um, we both, Jeremy and I both grew up in Iowa and then um, we're both the oldest of our, our families, both in a family of five. And both grew up with a good foundation in, um, spiritual exploration. Let's say his was more conservative than mine was. Mine was Catholic and his was more on the Baptist side. And, uh, anyway, I mentioned that because it, you know, this, the artwork that I've done is very spiritual for me and I've kind of, um, had a long progression of what that looks like in my life (laughs) and um yeah so we are living in berlin now but we met years ago 25 years ago at iowa state university that's not
1: berlin missouri right
0: (laughs) no is berlin germany
1: (laughs) (laughs) i'm just kidding you know missouri has every city in the world uh, somewhere you know anyway
0: yeah (laughs) absolutely (laughs) yeah so um yeah i've been living over here for almost two years and before that we we had stayed in the midwest we lived in germany for five years um into the early 2000s and moved back to the Midwest and then to Kansas City and um, had some really great years of spiritual formation, I would say. And also, um, I had some wonderful awakenings to what painting could be and creativity could be in my life. And that happened around 2009, probably. When i was taking a class on inner healing and um yeah so everything kind of shifted after that time Hmm. from a very standard religious experience to a spirituality that was profoundly different than what i had been taught what i had been told it was just um very out of the box And I suppose Jeremy and I were always sort of out of the box thinkers or maybe slightly rebellious, (laughs) however you want to put it, Um, always asking questions, very logical, but creative as well. So there was this tension of um, seeing how creativity and spirituality went together, but also this intellect side that wanted to combine everything into a nice Bubble. yeah <laughs> and we've yeah. seen where that bubble works and where it doesn't now that we're in our upper 40s but yeah i'm
1: yeah. curious um when you first moved to germany that <clears throat> first five-year stint right um did you were any of your kids born in germany
0: both my girls were okay mm-hmm.
1: all right yeah. and then one born in america huh yes okay interesting yeah, yeah. <laughs> And what was your purpose for going there the first time?
0: You know, Jeremy had always had a fascination with Germany. And um, I didn't really care either way what we did. (laughs) After college, I was sort of open to exploring the world and thought, well, if he wants to go there, I'm, I'm game because... We're young, and this is a good time to try new things and see more of the world than I had before. I, my family wasn't really much into traveling, so I hadn't thought about moving outside of Iowa, quite honestly. So, this idea of <laughs> moving overseas was shocking, but also really exciting Okay, to think about something that…
1: So, it was an adventure.
0: …unique. It wasn't a an spiritual adventure. adventure. It was absolutely. <laughs> All right. Cool.
1: Um, I know when when we met and and when I found out about the Germany, so I had a few German connections and I think I probably okay. introduced you to a couple of my German friends. One would have been Klaus Jambor. And he yeah. said to say hi by the way. I Great. chatted with him on yeah. the phone just a few days ago. And then I I think I helped you meet Martin Buhlman, did I not? Yes. Did I, did I connect you guys?
0: Yes, did you did. Is,
1: is he have you seen him since you've moved over to Berlin or any,
0: Actually have not. Okay. Because All right. of, because of COVID. Uh, and yeah. His he was still kind of the head of vineyard Berlin here. Until we moved here and then it has um, changed leadership to someone that he kind okay. of mentored. Okay. And so we stay in touch with the leadership of Vineyard Berlin. And Jeremy actually stayed with the um, creative director for nine months until I moved here with
1: okay. the kids. Yeah, cool. So, yeah, yeah was I was people. over yeah. in um, Bern, Switzerland um, and right. came to know Martin Martin's St- Planted a vineyard in Bern, uh, in Bern, Switzerland. And we had come to know each other through the years, probably met in the 90s or something like that. And yeah, um, yeah and then his son, I think, is now the pastor of the Bern, Switzerland, I think.
0: I think so. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and then he was leading, heading up uh, the Berlin. So anyway, it's a church movement. For those of you who don't know Vineyard, uh, it's just a movement of churches around the yeah. The world, actually, that I've been a yeah. part of for many, many years. Well, um, let's jump into your artwork. So, okay, I you've you've titled the book, and I guess this series of paintings, um, "Creative yeah. Lament." Is that right? That's right. "Creative Lament." I love that title. And basically, lament is a process it's it's about grief and loss it's it's Mm -hmm. how you process grief and loss and sorrow and stuff like that and uh, for our audience who might not know this the the there's 150 psalms in the hebrew bible Mm -hmm. and about a third of the psalms are what we would categorize as psalms of lament either uh, individual psalms of lament We could even call them songs of lament you know a lot of the their poetic verse and many of them were probably sung and then um and then some of them were for community lament as well so there's some that were individuals and some that were for community and so i just it just captured my attention and i you, you started kind of posting some of your paintings on instagram and And so I just got very intrigued. And then when you, then when I saw that you'd come out with a book, I wanted to get it. And you graciously sent me a PDF so that I could, you know, get ready for this interview. But um, one of the things that you start out with is just like the workspace itself. And I I, I was thinking about creativity and environment and Mm -hmm. workspace and then how that workspace environment. And creativity was was a part of the way you s- started spilling out your your emotional construct.
0: Yeah. Yes.
1: I, I I thought that was fascinating. How how do you find that your physical environment is important to the cre- the creative process as well as was it important for lim- for this process of grieving?
0: Yes, absolutely. Um, I'd like to say that it's not important, but it is. I just can't get away from that. (laughs) Uh, Jeremy found this apartment that we're in and it has a, what they call a winter garden, which is like a, a room that has three walls of windows and it has become my studio space. And it's so amazing. I I feel so just it's very unlikely to find a space in Berlin that's big enough for a family and affordable let alone to have a room like this that has so much natural light. So for me I of course like my space really organized which might be a little bit different than some artists do but I'm a designer by profession and my bachelor's degree is in graphic design. So I have this sort of organized design approach to things as well. Um, So having three walls of natural light coming in was, for this series of paintings was really, I think critical for me because I felt like I was in such a dark place already that I don't think I could have handled also being in a dark space physically (laughs) and having the motivation or yeah, that, that little bit of push, the push of nature I would say um, is right outside my windows. There's a lot of green and trees and tons of birds singing. And it's almost like I needed that surrounding of, of, comforting sound and scenery to have a resting place to let my guard down, to really be able to paint things that felt heavy and felt dark because it's not typical of the paintings that I do. So, it was kind of initially scary anyway to um, dive into a series of work that I knew wouldn't be something I'd want to hang on my wall necessarily. <laughs> um, I do have a couple of them on my wall, but like one of them, I, I just keep in the basement because it's so dark that I don't want to walk by that every day. It really, <laughs> like, it does reflect how I was feeling and it's good to be reminded of that. But um, Anyway, so this space that I was in was really great, really important.
1: That's cool. Um, what about the, so like when this, like, let's say when you poured out this ink bottle and all this, this yeah. initial effort, like you're trying to go get, okay, I have the energy to do this. Well, I've got to do it yeah. kind of a thing. And yeah, I need to deal with this. Was this at the big, be- I mean, give us a time frame for that. Was that at the beginning of the pandemic? Was it? early 2020 or was it earlier than that that you started this process
0: this was the fall of 2020 so okay well into the pandemic okay um and what had led up to this point was going back to before we moved to berlin um jeremy had lost his job i was working and um it took him seven months maybe to find a job which ended up being here in Berlin. And then he moved ahead of me and the kids so that they could finish school. I was working full time, raising three teenagers. <laughs> that was something special. Um, and trying to sell a house and wrap up life and like get ready to move internationally, which also meant unloading probably a quarter to a third of our belongings over time, over a few months time. And that alone just had amassed an amount of stress that I knew I was taking on. I knew that it was unhealthy. (laughs) And I just told myself, well, there isn't really an option. Like This is what I have to do and i can do it because i know there's an end and that then i can work through it. <laughs> however, then you move overseas and try and adjust to life over here and then the pandemic s- started which me which meant that we couldn't take that next step in adjusting by being present in the city and by getting together with people and even learning the language by interacting. And so that kind of, I knew it was going to be hard to be here, but it was much harder than I had anticipated. And it took longer to just initially adjust. I thought last time we moved to Germany, it took about six months for me to feel like, okay, this is home. And I thought, I'm going to give myself a year, generously give myself a year to adjust. And right at the time that year came, my two daughters decided to move back to the US. And that was my undoing. It was the best decision for them, in my opinion and in theirs. But it just was like I had not anticipated it and I wasn't ready to lose them and especially not at the same time during a pandemic and not knowing when i'd see him again Mm. so that happened in the fall and after i i kind of moved them back to the us and then i came back here and i sat down with jeremy and i was like i am not okay i am i mean Yes, there are things in the past that have sort of accumulated to this point. But now I really feel completely overwhelmed and I don't have the ability to like physically cope or I I'm not sure what to do. But um, kind of my big indicator of that something was really wrong is that one of my closest, most precious friends sat me down and expressed her disappointment in how I had not like been connecting with her very well. And, and I just thought in that moment, oh my gosh, I am not being honest with myself about what's going on and, and my need to process loss. And it's affecting me so much that my like best friend is having to tell me that they're disappointed in me being disconnected. And I didn't even know that was happening. Mm. And I, I need to really pay attention to what's going on. I can't keep going, going, going.
1: <laughs> wow. Was this a friend of yours in Berlin or one here in America?
0: A friend of mine that lives in Iowa. Okay. Yeah. And has right. lived overseas and lived in Kansas City. So we have sort of a understanding of what that can be like anyway. So yeah. she was very understanding anyway right so for her to get to this point with me is very unusual
1: (laughs) okay so in the book uh, that that gives us a good intro to this one one of the little phrases in your book you know you had written some thoughts next to Mm -hmm. your paintings and one of the little phrases that stuck with me is sitting with uncomfortable emotions sitting with uncomfortable emotions that captured me because I would say that's something I've never done very well Mm -hmm. sit with uncomfortable emotions
0: doesn't feel good
1: (laughs) have you has that been a, a part of the way you've have you been good at processing uncomfortable emotions throughout most of your life or do they, is it like you put them aside do they build up and then all of a sudden, once they're about ready to explode, you, you finally realize, Oh, I, I need to do I need to sit with this a little while. What? Yeah. I, I mean, has that been, have you realized the importance of sitting with uncomfortable emotions? Your most of your life?
0: I would say since about 2009 when I was Um, had really started this painting in a particular way. It was a way for me to process all kinds of emotions, particularly ones that were uneasy and hard to understand um, in order to get to a, a place of better understanding or a place of peace or joy. And so I'd say probably for 15 years, maybe a little less than that, it's been a regular practice of mine to not to work through anything that I felt was negative emotion. But sometimes, you know, it just all piles up. And even even though I would say, yeah, I think I'm pretty good at this, or it is something I intend to do, that I just got to a point where i like, I... I can't effectively do what I've always done to process the emotions. And I think I realized that there was something different happening. Um, I read burnout. I maybe you've read that too, but um,
1: about unlocking
0: stress, the stress cycle. And as I was reading that, I thought, wow, I, I have been good at addressing the stressors As I meet them, (laughs) but the overall accumulation of stress, like in my body, I have not dealt with, and I'm going to have to do something about that. And one of their suggestions in the book is to um, use creativity as a way to kind of get it out.
1: That's awesome. I like that. Yeah, yeah. I like that. Yeah. And one of my blogs, and I can't remember which one actually, but I because I had grown up and I'm not blaming this on anybody. It's just what I yeah. soaked in through my, you know, growing up years in church and all that kind of stuff is, is that negative emotions were almost attached to my quote, sinful nature, my mm. old nature. So like any kind of negative emotion for me was kind of associated with being sinful. And so, um, I always tried to suppress, conquer, avoid, ignore, but probably just and and a lot of therapists use the you know, the, the picture of the beach ball and trying to hold it under the water forever and, and it just doesn't work, you know, especially if it's a big beach ball. <laughs> right. <laughs> and uh and so uh. Once my beach ball popped under out from underneath the surface, it was a mess, right? And and then I had to like, you know, because when the Apostle Paul talked about the sinful nature, like Galatians five and you know Romans seven and stuff, a lot of the things he mentions that are connected to the sinful nature are are actions, not emotions, Mm -hmm. behaviors, versus emotions he doesn't really deal a lot with emotions when he talks about that stuff. And so I had to find my home in the Psalms of the Lament and the, the, the Psalms of Lament. And they are full of every human emotion, every negative human emotion. They're spilled out in the pages. There are times when, like Psalm 22, can I, I I'll get back to your painting here in a minute. Can I, but yeah. I want to just read the first two verses of Psalm 22. This would just be one example of a Psalm of Lament. And it's one that if you grew up in church, you've heard it before. Uh, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far away when I cry for help? Mm -hmm. Every day I call to you, my God, but you do not answer. Every night you hear my voice, but I find no relief. Mm.
0: The
1: first two verses. Now, I could read that whole psalm. And then I could read you sections of my journal, which are very raw, which I won't do. But (laughs) like, and of course that verse was made famous because that Jesus quoted that first line while he was on the cross, right? It's a psalm of lament. Mm -hmm. And so I, you know, I've had to really re-examine my whole relationship to negative emotion and uncomfortable Mm -hmm. emotion. That's why I wanted to start with that little phrase, sitting with uncomfortable emotions and even like mindful meditation. It's something I've been doing a lot of and sitting with those negative emotions, you know. And yeah. I love I love the physicality of your dealing with those negative emotions in such a tangible, physical, creative way. I loved that. I- it made me want to be an artist, you know. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> well, you are an artist with words.
1: That's right. I'm trying. So anyway, but so, so after you, uh, you the first painting in your book that, Um, is posted there is the it's the one that's full of kind of like these blue Mm -hmm. dark blue kind of ocean type colors and um, you didn't really title the painting but in the little words that you wrote out next to it you you said it it wasn't intentional but when you when you finally looked at it it looked like a sinking ship Right. So you were tearing pieces of canvas. Like, so you started, evidently, started with a huge chunk of canvas, right?
0: I, well, I had more or less scraps. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have the energy to go buy new supplies. And um, I thought, well, I just need, I just need to, I need to start. And I can't let, buying supplies and not buying supplies keep me from starting the process so I'll just use some things I have and so I was tearing sort of smaller pieces that I had apart and just seeing what happened <laughs> and then after after that initial experimentation then I bought some big pieces of canvas to really like carry this momentum of grieving and um, yeah, sitting, like you said, sitting with the negative emotions is really hard. It's so counterintuitive for me also. Like I don't want to be uncomfortable, let alone sit uncomfortably for any length of time. It's <laughs> so I think that was part of my like desperation to really get things out on the canvas I realized like I can't just sit here forever with this or it will be consuming and I don't want to keep feeling like this for a long time.
1: <laughs> so for those who are, who are listening like to the podcast and you're not viewing it um you, you if you want to you can Check it out on my website or YouTube, we will show some of the pictures that we're talking about right now. So, this first one is sinking ship. And I, that's actually what I thought of when I saw it without reading anything about it. Hmm. And I just find that fascinating that that's that happened accidentally. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yep. (laughs) I couldn't draw a ship if I tried. So, it was sort of remarkable. Fascinating. abstractly look like that when Mm -hmm. I stood back from it. And I just thought, oh gosh, this is me right now. (laughs) This is what I feel like. I
1: really like that piece. So good. (laughs) So good. So then, then you say that like you had all these, the, all these different pieces that you've torn, Mm -hmm. you've got paint on them. There's just these torn fragments all around you. And that, Sitting in that mess for a while kind of bugged you a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) So what did you do to try (laughs) to bring some order to that chaos?
0: Right. So looking at these, the spread of torn up canvas everywhere. And I uh, went to Ikea and I bought frames and I put these scraps these rough drafts if you will into frames and put them on my wall in a in a nice wonderful arrangement that made me feel okay about life <laughs> and i just had to like i don't know somehow bring it back in to this place where it's comfortable for a moment to take a break from seeing the reality of how i was feeling seeing these this raw canvas and the torn edges and the strings falling off and everything feeling very disconnected. And I thought, if I just pause and hang these on the wall in a way that feels organized and contained, I can take a deep breath before I move on to this next part of painting, which I knew would be more devastating for me it would be a lot harder
1: okay um I, i'm gonna inject an idea here tell me if you think it fits yeah. um so in my therapy work over the last couple mm-hmm. of years and then an, and i've read time you know i'm a big reader so i read all the yeah. time and i've read all about uh, emotions from all different kinds of perspectives and you know as as kids we're not in America we're not taught how to identify emotions label emotions process emotions we're pretty much emotionally emotionally illiterate okay yeah so there's actually um, people that are Mark Brackett and some other people like this that are actually advocating for emotional education starting in elementary schools with American kids now and Getting a little bit of traction because of people like Brene Brown and Mm -hmm. how she's brought so much awareness to some of these issues in such a, you know, in such a big way. And so, um, but but they will tell you that just actually, you know, you have hundreds of emotions, but actually naming them, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: labeling them, like this is this emotion, naming it identifying it and acknowledging it is a is huge it's like a critical part of the healing process Mm. and i and when i saw what you did with these fragments and framing them it made me think of that a little bit like a like a physical way of doing that to some degree is that yeah does that fit a little bit
0: it does that's i think for a while i could just see that on the wall And I knew that I did know or sense that each piece was kind of representative of something I needed to work through. It was like I had hung this um, group of losses on my wall, and I needed them to be up there to remind me, like, you're not done with this process. You walk by these every day. You need to look at them and not be afraid to to look at them right in the face mm-hmm. and know that it's okay. And so to just make them a little prettier and easier to look at was a way to get myself to say, okay, it's it's all right. This this feels like a really huge bunch of ugly stuff mm-hmm. I have to work through, but I I have to. <laughs> I
1: have to do it so that's so good and and it's right at the spot that you talk about the losses so i mean grief is mm. always usually grief usually depression usually anger you know some of these are yeah. usually tied to losses right and you listed a yeah. bunch like you listed job yeah. community identity familiarity communication friendship control mobility can, or uh, predictability security, st- stability dreams trust um, were were you naming all your own, or were you just trying to put a whole bunch of them out there?
0: Those were those were all my own. Wow, <laughs> it's a um, lot of yeah. them.
1: But the yeah. last one caught my attention that you mentioned, hmm. and that was spiritual certainty. Yeah. But the loss of spiritual certainty. Yeah. Tell me what you what you meant by that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> that one was. Something that had been going on for a while. So it wasn't, it's last in that list because it wasn't like the most current of losses that I felt. That one's, it's a little hard to explain, but I'm going to do my best. So I have just been on an interesting path, I guess, of spiritual awareness and what that can look like. And a lot of ideas that I had, um, that are more conservative, that felt damaging and, um, not only to me, but to other people. And as I, you know, probably about five years ago, started really wrestling with that and, and some ideas that are commonly held by, um, the church, Christian church, and um, I worked at a church at the time, <laughs> so it was sort of interesting to be having these ideas that were negative, and I, I wouldn't even say for me that they were negative. It was that I was realizing that something had to change in me, but also in the church generally, and. Um, So that took kind of stepping outside of what i have known and being willing to have things be different and um part of i think part of what happened there was that my daughter allegra um, was part of theater in high school and these kids were incredible and so unique and very opposed to Christianity for very good reasons. (laughs) And I just saw how like beautiful they were and how hurt they were. Well, It's going to make me cry. (laughs) And I thought, how can, how can this be happening? How can, how can we continue like moving in the direction we are? And rejecting so many people. And I saw how she interacted with them and how that was truly more church than a lot of the things I was experiencing because they were there for each other. They were supportive. They were um, together for a greater purpose. They were being creative. They were being themselves. They were accepting each other. They were helping each other through the worst of problems and, um, just coming out of a culture of oppression and rejection, a lot of them, and our house kind of became their safe place. And um, we always had parties, and I just thought these these are the people that I would choose to be around. They're <laughs> like there's so much that I have to learn from them, and um, I don't want to feel like I'm closing myself off to the really the true beauty that's in these individuals that have been rejected. Yeah. <laughs> so um, that kind of started me really thinking about what church was mm-hmm. and what um, love really can be and uh, yeah, so, I like all my church experiences. Honestly, have been really pretty great. I have to say, I've learned a tremendous amount that is irreplaceable, and I've had to also sift through a lot of things that should be replaced. And um, and then moving over here and losing all of that community, I realized I was really cynical, and it took me, like purposefully working through cynicism for probably nine months I mean I was working at it Hmm. (laughs) and I thought this will be a quick process because I'm being so intentional and it just took so long and um, I was having a conversation with my stepdad actually who's an atheist and I realized that my tone was so negative about Christianity and it didn't and I just didn't feel like that was right anymore. Like this has to stop. It doesn't have to look how some people say it needs to look, but I'm doing myself and other people a disservice to also be overly negative about it and be cynical about it. And that's a weed that I have to pull out before anything else can really grow in my life as far as spiritual community. So... Excellent. That was a really long answer.
1: (laughs) No, thanks for sharing that, though. Yeah. So, so interesting. Um, So I've been through my blogs and videos, I think, Mm -hmm. mostly blogs, probably. I've been very honest about my 2019 and literally written, you know, like I, I went through such a meltdown. I felt like an atheist. I felt like my faith was shattered. Like I felt like it was gone. Like I'd lost it. And yeah, it was dark, very, very dark, and there was no quick fix. It was way too deep for that, yeah and uh, um, and then, uh you know, I, I started connecting with the recovery community in mm-hmm. Kansas City, sitting in rooms with alcoholics and addicts of every economic category every faith and non-faith that you could imagine Mm -hmm. every kind of lifestyle that you could imagine and then all sitting there with all of us broken people like just being honest about our brokenness yeah and there was a tangible move of whatever you would want to call spirit as real and tangible as anything i'd ever felt uh Just honesty and brokenness and the, yeah. the, what and there's a something like magical about mm-hmm. the bonding that can go on and and so when you described what you saw happening with your daughter's group, mm-hmm. it reminded me of kind of what i was you know in a different way but in a similar way what what uh what I was feeling so like when i when I wrote a blog, Spirituality Adventures, and I just tried to define, because I listened to these rooms, and all, most all these people would be very anti-religious,
0: yeah. <laughs> extremely, <Sure.
1: laughs> even yeah. many, even anti-Christianity, anti-this, anti you know, but very spiritual, and so then I'm, I'm like, so what, you know, so I tried to just listen long enough to see, well, what do they really mean by spiritual, you know, and this religious, not religious, but spiritual thing. Right, And then, so I finally defined based on just what I listened to people, what I, what I felt like people were meaning by spirituality. And I, I really just boiled it down to connection mm-hmm. or, or you could say belonging, connection or belonging with yourself, yeah. with others. So like what your daughter was experiencing with others.